Hello, everyone, and welcome to Privacy Tech Talk, where, yeah, you guessed that, we talk about privacy technologies. If you want to learn more about the different privacy technologies out there and how they can help your business, then you've come to the right place. I am your co-host, Carlos Chalico. And I'm your other co-host, Fahad Diwan. Today, we're extremely excited to have on our show co-founder and CEO of Private AI, Patricia Tain. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much for being on our show. How are you doing today? Uh, doing great. Thank you. Really excited to be here. Thank you so much. And we're really excited to have you. So who is Patricia? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. For sure. So uh, I'm a privacy-preserving natural language and spoken language processing research. Um, I uh, started a PhD uh, in order to start a startup and uh, realized that there was this really big issue where uh, machine learning uh, technologies, uh, while they could do a lot of good, can also do uh, a lot of harm if uh, you're dealing with people's private information. So mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about that topic. So Patricia, can you please help us understand what your product does? What we do is make it really easy uh, for developers to be able to recognize person identifiable information, uh, redact it, de-identify text uh, or images, and uh, an occasion video and audio, and also uh, create synthetic data that's very targeted uh, to replace that personally identifiable information so that they can then use that information to train machine learning models, for example. So uh, the way we do that for machine learning teams is re removing and replacing personally identifiable information like full names, uh, exact addresses, or quasi-identifiers like religion or origin, which when combined together can we identify an individual, uh, and replacing them with fake ones. So fake okay. names, fake addresses, and that allows them to get this very natural data to train their models. And we can also be used for uh, detecting personally identifiable information in large troves of data in a very uh, accurate way. Patricia, that sounds very interesting. I, uh, so is what you're doing the same as what synthetic data companies do, or is it different? That's a really great question, Fahad. So it is different. So what synthetic data companies do is uh, generally they have a bunch of training data that they train a synthetic data generator on, and then they create entirely synthetic data as a result. What we do is targeted synthetic data generation. And the reason that that's interesting is because if you still want to have uh, any sorts of insights about a particular conversation, uh, for example, customer service agent speaking to a customer about a product, then you might want to have an idea of how well this conversation went. Does this customer service agent need training? Uh, what kind of products were spoken about? And you can't do that with entirely synthetic data. However, if you replace the credit card numbers, the names, uh, the uh, other sensitive information that might re-identify the caller, uh, you could still use that information uh, to uh, make very specific predictions that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do with entirely synthetic data. Do you have an example of that prediction that you men you're mentioning? Yeah, so it could be sentiment analysis, it could be toxicity detection, it could be uh, detecting the products that were spoken of, uh, it could be uh, 
information for customer service teams about to to know which agents might need uh, more attention uh, or how well they're doing. Uh, it might be for, uh, for example, InsureTech so that they can have an idea of what kind of claims are being made uh, without necessarily associating those claims to individuals and their machine learning teams can uh, have a field day with the data without uh, being too concerned about uh, privacy. And Patricia, let's say I am not, but let's say I am five years old. So <laughs> can you please explain me how your technology does that? Absolutely. And uh, that would have been the best beard I've ever seen on a five-year-old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's a great um, beard. It's a great yeah, beard. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so yes, it's, it's really based on context. Uh, so it understands that if you say something like, uh, my credit card number is five, four, oh no, wait a second, that's three, two, five. Uh, it's, it's still going to know that those numbers are credit card numbers, even though the context is difficult. Uh, because it's trained on a huge amount of uh, human-generated data and has memorized a bit how humans uh, speak. And that means that things that would otherwise be uh, impossible for things like regular expressions, which do pattern matching. Uh, so you can imagine a regular expression saying something like, uh, remove anything with nine digits. Uh, things that would be impossible to do that way it are possible to do uh, with the machine learning models that we have. Patricia, how is it that you uh, came up with this idea? What inspired you? Yeah, so I, I actually started my PhD uh, working on uh, acoustic forensics. And acoustic forensics lets you understand who's speaking and recording, what kind of educational background they have, what kind of, uh, you know, uh, what was their mother tongue? What anything that can uh, really pinpoint an individual's demographic uh, can be somewhat figured out using acoustic forensics to a certain degree of accuracy. And it it can be used, and this was the purpose of the research to improve automatic speech recognition. But uh, there are all these other ways that it can be misused. It can be used for uh, you know surveillance uh, or mm -hmm. you know. Uh, re-identifying individuals when you shouldn't be, that kind of thing. And it was really clear that given how much sensitive information, how much uh, that we produce, sorry, how much sensitive information we produce when we're speaking or writing, really it's the most uh, amount of sensitive information that we produce is in this unstructured form. It was a natural fit to integrate privacy preserving technologies. That's great. And I, I think that your vision is attracting a lot of heavy hitters in addition to your co-founder, right? So we saw on your website, you have the former privacy commissioner of Ontario, Anne Kavukian. You have an astronaut, Chris Hadfield. You've just gotten funding or recently received funding from Microsoft. So what do you think it is that your supporters are seeing in private AI that is inspiring them and that is attracting them to support you and your vision? Mm. So Everything that we build has to be extremely generalizable for it to be practical. Uh, we need a solution that's easy to resell uh, to different customers and that we can use, learn from various customers from to make better. Uh, so that's one aspect of it. It's, it's just the extreme practicality of what we're bringing to market. Uh, 
we also have the most accurate solution on the market and we have incredible speeds. And ultimately the vision that we're uh, selling people on, which we really, really believe in is that there needs to be a Twilio of privacy and we wanna be that Twilio of privacy, uh, making it really easy for developers in only three lines of code to integrate privacy into their software pipelines in a very modular way. And the modularity is super important. And, and Patricia, now that you go to um, customers, mm -hmm. what would you say is the value that uh, will attract them to get your solution? What is it that they should be uh, getting from your solution? Is it speed? Is mm -hmm. it simplicity, as you were explaining? Uh, mm -hmm. Why would they use your product? Speed, simplicity, accuracy. A lot of the times we're talking to people who are either thinking of building it themselves or using a third-party solution. Uh, third-party solutions like AWS Comprehend, for example, in some cases, uh, they uh, reserve the rights to use your data uh, to train their own models and store your data for their own purposes, which is just a complete non-starter for a lot of people. Uh, in, it's in the contracts with their own customers to not do that. Uh, some of our customers need our technology in order to be able to get data to train their models in the first place. Um, okay. Model uh, data that comes from uh, video game companies, from uh, dating apps, from hospitals, from government. And that means that the algorithms used to detect personal and fibro information and redact that information or create synthetic, uh, targeted synthetic data uh, with that, that information is has to be super, super accurate and nothing else on the market cuts it. Uh, we are just the best solution for this problem. And what's well, your, yeah. how do you measure that? What's your accurate, is there, is it even right to ask what your accuracy rate is? You know, what's the metric? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, no, that's a totally fair question. Uh, and it is a difficult thing to answer. We can answer for in-domain accuracy. And in-domain means that uh, we've had a chance to look at data that's somewhat similar to the one that you're dealing with. And we work with our customers to uh, make sure that the models reach this accuracy for them. So we can reach over 99.5% accuracy. Wow. And uh, go going back to your to your customers, what's, what's your target market? Who, who your customers are? Yeah, great question. So we target a lot of machine learning teams, a lot of teams working with conversational data, um, but we also target uh, insurance companies and financial institutions uh, because they have proofs of unstructured data that they need help with. Uh, but really the main, the main target that at, uh, we're looking at are uh, conversational AI startups and enterprise. Our product generalizes really well across the board. Uh, so okay. we do have customers from uh, pre-seed startups all the way to multi-million dollar companies, including one of the biggest banks of Canada, uh, one of the biggest oh. uh, conversational AI companies in the world. Uh, so it's uh, we're, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for all developers to have access to our platform. So with Amazon Alexa and Google Home and all of these um, you know, tools coming into our homes, I see that the industry is going more and more towards voice. Is that a trend that's helped your startup? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, it's with all this data comes the need to analyze the data as well. And that's really where we can help a lot. The research community has only in the past few years been 
looking at privacy-preserving machine learning. Uh, it's only recently been looking at the amount of memorization that machine learning models can do and how uh, bad that could be for privacy because of the outputs that these models produce, which allow you to infer what was part of the training data. I, I said, I guess, how do you communicate the value of your technology to people who are not engineers, right? So a lot of, the, a lot of our customers, they're either lawyers, or they have a compliance background and they're mm -hmm. used to uh, complying with privacy requirements based on policies and, and documentation. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate? Do you encounter challenges communicating the value of your product to those type of uh, people with those type of backgrounds? Yeah, great question. Um, for the most part, lawyers get super excited about this because one of the core tenants of uh, the GDPR and uh, any of the legislations that are inspired by the GDPR uh, is data minimization. And data minimization is all about only taking the data that you need to prevent having this trove of really toxic data that would get you into trouble if somebody accesses them incorrectly uh, or if somebody, uh, you know, or if there's a data leak in the company. Uh, and this takes a lot of risk away from companies. Lawyers understand that. And they also understand that in terms of uh, what that means for access to information requests, for example. So they're really used to dealing with PII in terms of access to information requests, thinking about who has access to personal information within an organization and how to limit the access control to only what people need. Um, it's They don't need to understand the inner workings of the tech to, really, to uh, picture how this could be helpful to the companies that they work with. Patricia, uh, a question I must ask, uh, the pandemic. How mm. has the pandemic impacted your company? Has it been positive, not that positive? What's the effect of the, of the pandemic in your organization? Yeah, I mean, we somehow managed to raise uh, at the, in 2020, uh, right as the pandemic, almost right as the pandemic hit, actually right as the pandemic hit. Uh, we had had a meeting with uh, our, uh, the investor they gave us our first safe uh, right before the pandemic hit, right one on one, um, and then uh, after that we waited a few months before we were able to get our, our next safe in order until people were able to uh, get more used to the situation. So one benefit of that was that we were able to raise and talk to investors without having to fly all over the place, which as a pre-seed startup was going to be very expensive and we didn't have very yeah. much money. Um, so there is that major benefit. But on the yeah, but on the other hand, um, ever it I, going to conferences would be a huge source of potential customers, uh, yeah. going to different cities to talk to different people would be a huge source. Uh, so there is that we have to find different techniques to approach uh, you know, the companies that we're targeting uh, on the market. So you mentioned one disadvantage you've had is that you can't go out to conferences to get customers. So what have you been doing uh, to substitute that? You know, mm -hmm. what, what other things have you been doing to source customers? Mm. So that's a great question, uh, Fad. So one of them is very targeted content. Uh, we try to create, create a lot of value in the content that we produce, and that does bring leads in. Uh, another one is uh, being really, it, it's, it's less about uh, selling as much as understanding people's problems. And when they come to us with their own privacy problems, 
it's really about listening, seeing if our solution is right for them, if not pointing to them to the right uh, direction. And um, I, I think being good people to the humans we interact with in general, uh, that's that's been working pretty well. Uh, but it also is about volume. So how many people can we talk to about privacy and about the uh, struggles that they're going through? So Patricia, when I hear about your tech, uh, it's very progressive, right? It's it's almost disrupting the way that people tend to think about complying with privacy. So on that note, where do you see the future of privacy tech going? Where do you see the industry growing? What do you think it'll look like in five, 10, or even 20 years down the line? Mm, great question. Okay, so when, when we first started version 2.0 of private AI, uh, our vision was that developers should be able to integrate privacy in any device, in not just on server side, uh, not just on premise. Uh, so they should be able to integrate directly on iPhone or Android or browser. Um, and we found uh, at the beginning of uh, 2019 to now that companies are just not really ready for having privacy controls be on the edge yet. It's not as standard uh, to think about how you can integrate privacy on the edge yet. But I think that in uh, five to 10 years, it's likely that privacy is going to move to the edge. Uh, something like what we create uh, is really perfect for redacting data before they even, it even hits your servers, which makes such a big difference in terms of uh, risk and in terms of risk for your customers as well. So that's one thing I see in the coming years, more privacy moving to the edge as edge computing becomes more standardized, uh, especially if you think about the IoT uh, cybersecurity laws uh, that are being spoken about in uh, the EU, uh, something that would force more standardization uh, because of the requirement of having strict cybersecurity and IoT device devices, um, that would make this much more possible. And Patricia, for our listeners that may not know, what do you mean by on the edge? Mm, yes, great question. Um, so on the edge uh, means, for example, your laptop, your cell phone. Uh, it means uh, the IoT devices that you might have. Uh, it's uh, devices that are connected to the network, but it's not a server, for example. Uh, and Patricia, let's, let's, say, let's say that you have a crystal ball and you can see what's coming in the future for Canada in the regulatory mm -hmm. landscape. What's going mm -hmm. to be happening with federal regulation, with provincial regulation? What do you think we will have in our country in the time to come from the regulatory mm -hmm. perspective? Yeah, great question. So um, I've been thinking about this recently and uh, for Bill 64 in Quebec, uh, one uh, an expert I was listening to about uh, uh, privacy uh, privacy regulations was mentioning how it's the C11 was the very first um, bill to bring up that uh, anonymized data still falls under that regulation. And Bill C64, if I'm not mistaken, seems to have uh, taken inspiration from that and require that anonymized data be uh, uh, covered under that regulation as well. Uh, that's not something that most data protection regulations have. So, uh, or any, uh, the GDPR, uh, for example, uh, says if data is anonymized, it does not 
uh, then have to uh, abide by the GDPR. And I think uh, one major reason this is, is because of how misused the term anonymize is. So whenever you see headlines that say, uh, anonymization does not work because blah, it's usually because somebody's, uh, somebody thought they had anonymized data. Somebody ended up leaving in uh, an entire postal code or uh, forgot that timestamps can be associated between data sets. It's um, not, often not relying on experts uh, to look over the data before the data is published. And that has led to a deep mistrust of anonymization and, and uh, thought uh, a belief that anonymization simply is not worth it and that it can never be uh, even close to perfect. Um, but then on the other hand, you've got anonymization that does really work and it's being used in pharmaceutical uh, agencies in healthcare for research. Uh, so there is this big question mark now, what are these companies going to do uh, if they need this data for uh, research? Um, but all that is to say, uh, where I see regulations going is because there is a, still an outcry from the communities that do understand that statistical anonymization uh, is possible. Uh, and there is going to be an outcry from um, companies that have been using anonymized data uh, for legitimate purposes and have been doing it properly, uh, what these regulations are likely going to have is more defined uh, characteristics of what anonymization means. And since our listeners can see, uh, Patricia's cat, very cute, just came in and gave Patricia a nice little headbutt as she was giving her answer. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was great. Thank you. So no, that's that's fantastic, Patricia. And I think that's that's optimistic. What what we are seeing on the lights on the landscape for privacy regulation in Canada is is precisely an evolution. And I think that what we are seeing in Quebec is perhaps the first solid sign of that. So we will see how this evolves in the future. Mm -hmm. So, Patricia, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Um, so happy to answer emails at uh, patricia at uh, private-ai.com, or they could uh, talk to me on Twitter, uh, and my handle is privatenlp, uh, or contact me on LinkedIn if they'd like. Thank you for listening. Please keep an ear out for our next episode, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach me at Carlos Chalico, LinkedIn, or Twitter. And you can reach me at Fahad Diwan on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thank you so much, Patricia. Best of luck to you and Private AI. Thank you so much. It's been delightful speaking with you both. Thank you. Goodbye to the cat.